family-owned shop in Loganville, Sosby's Garage, for all your automotive repair needs. We service all makes and models, Ford and domestic. We repair engines, alternators, brakes, alignments, AC systems, and more, using certified technicians with over 90 years of combined experience. We also offer same-day service for some repairs. Sosby's Garage, 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville. Dependable, honest, and fair. Look us up on Google or Facebook. We'll take good care of you. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, it's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey, welcome everybody to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strawn, the president of Paradigm Security Services, and we're excited to be with you once again today on Business Radio X. We are coming to you from Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, located in the beautiful Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. Each week, as you know, we plan to feature businesses and people in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County. While all physical businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security, and we will touch on that and all related aspects of security as we go through the course of each show. Our guest today, I am so happy to have back with me, Matt Reeves. He's the, uh, an attorney in the uh, business and real estate law area with Anderson Tate and Carr. And even more important, he's running for state can- Senate candidate for District 48, with that's Gwinnett and North Fulton. And uh, fantastic to have you here, Matt. Rick, great to be back. Uh, appreciate your small business show and look forward to talking about issues uh, for small businesses in our area today. Well, you know, small business and everything is is what makes this country run. And, of course, Gwinnett County has been awfully good to small businesses, as well as the state of Georgia, uh, for that matter. And uh, it's one of the top places to have a business in uh, the nation. I'd say we're doing fairly well in that area. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Since we talked last, it's been a while, so just to get everybody that's new maybe to the show or something, who is Matt Reeves? Where'd you come from? What got you into being a an attorney and why in the world would you want to run for a government position? Rick, I've been here in Duluth for 17 years, have lived in Duluth and practiced law in Duluth uh, since 2003. Uh, my wife Suzette and I have uh, three kids in school, 10th grade, 7th grade, and 4th grade. Um, active in the community with, um, you and I met through Leadership Gwinnett, uh, been active in uh, Duluth Rotary and a lot of other civic organizations. Uh, the last 17 years, I think it's important to get out there and do some good in your community in addition to doing an excellent job for your customers and clients in your day job and raising your family. Um, I was born in America's Georgia, down in southwest Georgia. That's where both my parents grew up. None of my grandparents went to college. Uh, they sent all of my aunts and uncles and mom and dad to, to college. They were part of that greatest generation. They're my heroes uh, in life. Uh, went to college at Mercer, uh, worked my way through college. Um, Went to law school at University of Georgia, so I'm a proud Georgia Bulldog, and uh, that brings us uh, to here in, in uh, Gwinnett, North Fulton. I uh, came here in 2003, and uh, proud to have really lived the American dream uh, here, here in our area. I think this is a place that really uh, rewards hard work and dedication, and uh, proud to be a part of this community, Rick. Well, and it's good to have you. I know, like you say, we went through uh, 2014 Best Class Ever with uh, Leadership Gwinnett. 
And, you know, it's amazing when you get to know each other in those, those type of situations and really get to know who the person is so much as just not a name and a face. Um, now, we can talk about uh, Anderson Tate and Carr and stuff like that and day jobs early, but I'm, I'm really kind of more interested in, you know, the running for the state senate. Uh, why in the world would you want to do something like that? I mean, that's, that's a big deal. As I, as I mentioned, uh, my heroes in life are uh, my grandparents. My grandfather fought in World War II. Uh, he was a farmer and dairyman, and he was always active in his community uh, and served on the school board and the tax board in his uh, rural community down in southwest Georgia. And I got to see from him that, uh, you know, that's what citizenship is all about. You do a good job with your family, with your business, and then you pitch in and, and do some good service and leadership in your community. So I believe in that. I, I look at the, uh, the public offices that are out there, and I think uh, with the state legislature, it's part-time, so I could, you know, keep up everything that I'm doing uh, with my law practice, with my family, with, uh, you know, being a, a member of the community. I don't have to, you know, go full-time into government uh, and can do public service uh, part-time down at the legislature. The legislature in Georgia meets 40 days a year. As a litigation lawyer, I can file a legislative stay in my cases during that time and then get back to my law practice the rest of the year. So I think, uh, you know, the schedule of the legislature was built when people were farming. Uh, you know, they, they did the legislature during the cold weather months. So yeah, I it's, never un really thought about that. it's unusual to have a career that is conducive to that. And I don't think that we ought to have, you know, just all retirees or independently wealthy people down there at the Capitol. We ought to have people who are out there raising kids and who are in the working world and having to pay taxes and, and meet uh, payroll and things like that from the real world. So I think having somebody out there who's kind of midstream in life with work and parenting and things like that, um, it's important to have a seat at the table when people are making decisions about our schools and our workforce commute and our health care and law enforcement and things like that to have people who were affected every day by uh, by those issues. Well, I know it was originally, our founders, you know, it was originally the idea was to have it as a, a citizen government, and now we've got people up there in the, in the government that seem to make that their careers and have made it their careers for 40, 50, 60 years. And, you know, it, it gets them away from what the real world is. And I think we need to get – I would love for my own personal thing to see term limits uh, get come into the uh, governments where the people end up doing it. They don't look at it as a career and start, well, how do I make several million dollars off of this? And I, I definitely aspire um, in this public service in the state Senate uh, not, to, not to do it as a career. I'd like to get down there and get some good things done in a hurry and then get back to uh, the community. Um, so I think term limits are, are good. Um, other states who have done it, it's, it works. Florida, I grew up in Jacksonville, and I know Florida did term limits for the legislature and life has gone on and they're doing quite well and, and it gives uh, new blood and a new perspective and a current perspective, uh, which is important to democracy down there. Now, uh, one thing that a state senator does is you're part of the legislative delegation and you get to work with your local officials on local legislation so you can rapidly make changes in local government uh, and help your local elected officials with that. One thing that I think would be beneficial both to uh, Fulton County and Gwinnett County now that Gwinnett is up in the big leagues with having nearly a million residents. Yep. May, we may have already reached that number. It'll be interesting to see what the census said, but you know, Gwinnett and Fulton being uh, at or above a million people 
and having multi-billion dollar both county and school budgets, I think that we ought to strongly consider having nonpartisan uh, local elected uh, offices and, and also consider term limits also. Uh, in the past, when we had much fewer people, if we had you know a quarter of a million people like we had not too long ago in Gwinnett and we had a much smaller budget, you can afford to have um, uh, partisan uh, elections. But when you've got a million uh, people and you've got billions of dollars getting spent, you don't want to have some you know, partisan uh, career politicians uh, spending money to stay in office, uh, quite frankly. So I think it would serve the people better to have nonpartisan elected offices and, and even strongly consider having term limits also. If you look at our cities uh, mm -hmm. here in the area, uh, both in Gwinnett and in North Fulton, uh, they are doing great. Uh, they are innovative on redevelopment. They have some of the, the best developments going on. You look at some of the rapidly um, rising property values in Atlanta. It's in Alpharetta, in the city of Alpharetta. And uh, those cities are all nonpartisan, uh, whereas the county governments are still partisan. So I think we ought to take the uh, um, lesson of the cities and uh, give every voter a seat at the table on local government. Uh, that promotes accountability and I think um, fiscal conservatism as well when you have more people um, uh, being accountable for our local elected officials rather than just partisan decisions. And I'm no newcomer to nonpartisan offices. Um, I've got the bill signing pen from when Governor Deal instituted um, uh, nonpartisan magistrate, uh, chief magistrate and right. probate court judges here in Gwinnett County. I had just um, finished my term as Gwinnett County Bar President and uh, Chuck F. Stration was new in the legislature at the time and he asked me to help both from the legal community as well as from being active in the local Republican Party for years and helping uh, support that effort, that initiative that he and others uh, took and I think it served the people of Gwinnett County well since then to have a, a nonpartisan chief magistrate judge and probate judge. That's a good example and it's something that is not a new issue for me. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's worked quite well. Uh, we got some good judges up there. Um, you talk a lot about uh, being a fiscal conservative. Then uh, there's a lot of banter around you know, between that and conservative and Republican and and then the other side of the coin. But what do you mean when you say you're a fiscally conservative? What's it really mean to you to be sure. physically conservative? Well, what I want people to know is um, when we talk about the state budget and the state budget uh, cuts or uh, expansion or spending, I look at that as hardworking people's money, not the government's money. And so anytime that we're talking about spending, I'm going to ask how, um, what is the case for taking money from a hardworking Georgian and spending it on that program, what is the return on the investment for the taxpayers and the people of Georgia? Because in general, I'd like to leave as much money and as much authority to working people and local elected officials as possible. So if the state government um, is considering doing something, I'm always going to ask, are we doing a few things and are we doing them well? I don't think state uh, state of Georgia should try to be all things to all people like our uh, fiscally uh, uh, irresponsible federal government has done for decades. I think that we ought to ask what are we doing to educate our kids, uh, to uh, provide public safety, to provide a good health care network, uh, to make sure that people can get to and from work um, easily. 
Uh, those are the kind of things that I think that taxpayers and working people in Gwinnett and North Fulton want to make sure state government is doing and then leave the rest of the money and, and decisions uh, to working people and local elected officials. Well, I totally that's, that's what fiscal conservatism at the state level means to me. Well, I can totally agree with the uh, I see so much superfluous stuff that people are just spending money on with the government that it's like, you know, why are we spending money on this stuff? You know, this is not something that you know, we should be giving our tax money to the government for them to just go ahead and and be the nanny state and provide us with this, 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 and this. And, you know, people keep forgetting it's not free. You know, somebody's paying for this stuff. It's not free. You know, I, I think the, the be there's no government program out there any better for a person than a job is. Absolutely. We need to make sure that we have um, a fiscal climate and state government policies that keep a vibrant job market so that people have jobs because that takes care of a lot of needs for government services. You look at health care, if, if someone has a full-time job and they have health insurance, that, that uh, makes things a lot easier. It still doesn't solve the equation. There's room for improvement there, but it does uh, put people in a much better position than if they're unemployed and uninsured. And then for kids, you know, we've got 13,000 or more kids uh, out there who were kind of in the foster care and adoption um, limbo. Georgia's at the middle of the pack on that. We're trying to improve. I applaud Governor Kemp and the legislature for taking a, a next step after Governor Deal and the legislature made some improvements a couple years ago. But that's a priority to me. I want to get those kids and families because there's no government program any better for a kid than a family is. Like Absolutely. you said, a nanny state and housing and caring for every need of 13,000 kids. Uh, that's not acceptable. Georgia's now a leader. We're a top 10 state. Uh, when the census comes out, we may even be up there close to, you know, the top five. Uh, we still have a middle-of-the-pack mentality in a lot of areas of state government. We can't afford to do that anymore. We're in the big leagues in Georgia now. No, totally agree. Um, you know, there's, there's so much that can be done, but just trying to get everybody – this idea of bringing everybody to, to, that doesn't work or does work and bring, making them all on an on even platinum – is, that's crazy. Uh, you either work your butt off and you you achieve your goals. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you can do everything one, but choices you can't you can't make choices for people, and choices are what end up making or breaking. Well, and personal responsibility. Exactly. I, I trust families. I trust uh, small business people. I trust nonprofits, uh, faith communities, uh, local elected officials to solve problems. They're the ones who are closest to the problems. They're the ones who know how to get people on the right track, parents. Well, it's um, their problem. Exactly. And, and personal responsibility. I think yeah. we need to ask time and again, how can we invest the problem solving at the level of personal responsibility more? Because that's when you're going to see solutions. It's, it's not um, um, something new and innovative. The government can't take uh, the place for uh, uh, personal responsibility. Uh, it ought to be there to do the the big things um, we ought to have, uh, you know, safety, public safety. Um, get our kids educated. Um, uh, let commuters get to and from work, and and have a good health care network. Let's keep our eye on the basics, and leave the taxpayers with their hard-earned money, and the local elected officials with plenty of authority to make those local decisions that are unique to their community. Well, I like the fact that you say health care network, not health care plan. Oh yeah. Uh, it's not our. It's not the government's job to provide it. It's the government's job to make sure that the system is there so that it's, uh, it it works so that people have access to it. 
you know, things get really expensive when they're free. Yeah. Um, well, that's why I say nothing's free. Somebody has to pay for it. I, I, I want to be a proponent for the doctor-patient relationship. I believe strongly in that. I think that we've had uh, a lot of uh, government and third-party payer uh, that has uh, gummed up the works. I want to get back to the basics of uh, letting our local health care providers, because we have a ton of talented ones in our area, and I think we can have more in Georgia if we have a system that uh, really promotes that doctor-patient relationship and lets doctors... Let um, doctors be doctors and patients be patients. Exactly. No, absolutely. Well, you know, and that kind of brings up, you know, kind of ties in a lot of way with ethics uh, because doctors have ethics uh, to a written degree and attorneys and and just people as well. But, you know, the Eth- State Ethics Commission, there's been a lot been going on about that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, the, uh, the State Ethics Commission um, reviews campaign finances and, and other financial matters relating to state government and, and also candidates for judge and county commissioner and things like that. Um, I, I think they, you know, they do a good job. You have a lot of people who mean well. There's been a lot of turnover in leadership at the State Ethics Commission in the last decade or so. Um, what I'd like to see, you know, my dad retired as a prosecutor a few years ago when I worked in a a DA's office in law school at Georgia out in northeast Georgia and I admire Danny Porter and other prosecutors. Um, I don't think the role of the State Ethics Commission should fully be that as a prosecutor but I think we've got a good template of seeing how prosecutors move their cases along. If if the police send an arrest report over, things are processed and and either weeded out or moved through the system quickly and expeditiously, I think the State Ethics Commission in a lot of uh, ways has been understaffed and has not had the, uh, the resources and the tools to move their matters along expeditiously. And what you can have is this, you know, somewhat um, frivolous uh, complaint by a political opponent that uh, lingers for months, if not years, uh, whereas you have some, you know, larger uh, matter that is truly important. Um, uh, that doesn't get addressed either. So I think we need to give the State Ethics Commission the resources and the authority to be more expeditious and to spend their time and our resources on really policing uh, important ethics matters because, uh, again, we ought to have a citizen legislature uh, where elected officials and the people uh, have a, a good transparent relationship and where the people know what's going on down at the Capitol. And, uh, we shouldn't, uh, you know, have uh, uh, a dysfunctional system. We need to uh, give them the resources and authority to do their job well. And again, that's kind of my theme on state government. I want excellence uh, that uh, the people of Georgia deserve rather than mediocrity. Well, and a lot of it really boils down to having the true role of whatever, whatever it is defined. And sometimes the Ethics Commission, their role doesn't really get defined real well. It, it kind of bounces around sometimes. And that causes sometimes more problems than it, than it causes solutions. You know, and, and I hope people will see nonpartisan local officials, uh, a highly ethical state government. Those are not Republican issues. I'm a That's Republican. That's issues. That is something that I think independents, centrist Democrats, Republicans uh, can agree on. We're in an area where there's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, diversity on political beliefs, and you have people who are splitting tickets and a lot of undecided voters. I hope people will see that I'm focusing on things that build common ground that I think that we can all agree on uh, for state Senate rather than things uh, that 
are divisive and don't really, you know, move the needle. The state Senate has 35 Republicans and 21 Democrats. I think I could get some good things done for our area on the Republican majority side of the aisle. The ha Georgia House is a lot closer. The state Senate, no matter what happens in my race, is, is likely going to be Republican uh, for the foreseeable future anyway. I am a conservative Republican, um, so, you know, I would fit in well with um, that Republican majority, but I think I could deliver for Gwinnett County and North Fulton on the Republican side of the aisle down there. But I'm focused uh, both as a candidate and I will be as a state senator on things that benefit uh, my highly diverse uh, state senate district. Well, I found that most of the stuff that benefits one side, when they're really honest about it, benefits the other. That's right. Um, one issue that I want to make sure we get to before, before I run out of time here is the, the issue and the topic of <coughs> eminent domain. There has been a lot of stuff in the paper. There's been, of course, a lot of stuff in the fake news, a lot of stuff on Facebook. And I've been familiar with the eminent domain stuff for a lot of years. But uh, let's talk about the topic of eminent domain and private property. And, you know, what is your position on this stuff? Sure. Uh, and this, this sort of straddles both my role as a state Senate candidate and my day job. For 17 years, I've worked hard for property owners and business owners who are affected by eminent domain. Uh, in addition to doing real estate and business litigation. There are two cases uh, during my legal career that really have caught people's attention and educated uh, people on our Constitution when it comes to private property rights. The first is the Kelo case. You had a lady up in um, Connecticut, Suzette Kelo, and she lived in her home, liked her home, but the local government came to her and said, we're going to condemn your home and we're going to turn it over to a private redeveloper so that they can build a private shopping center where your home used to be and she fought it and unfortunately the Supreme Court um, made what I believe is the wrong decision and they said that is a public use um, the the government in Connecticut can take Miss Kilo's home away from her and give it to another private uh, party because it will yield tax benefits I think that's wrong I think we should define public use uh, traditionally and um, you know um, uh, have the power of eminent domain be exercised cautiously Very and cautiously. when necessary because you shouldn't have the government taking from one private party and giving it to another. That's just offensive to me and that's not the way that we've run things in America. If you're going to take private property, it needs to be for a truly traditional public use like a road or a government building that's truly necessary. And then truly fair compensation and made then, for it. And then just... pay them fairly. And that gets to the more recent case, the Nick case, K-N-I-C-K, and that's not quite as well known yet as the Kelo case, but um, Mrs. Nick in Pennsylvania had a family property, and uh, the local uh, county there or township in Pennsylvania enacted a rule that says cemeteries have to be open Monday through Friday 9 to 5, and you can't gate them off. You've got to leave your gates open. People ought to be able to come and go. And somebody said Miss Nick had a uh, cemetery on her property. She disagreed with that. It wasn't marked uh, but somebody pointed to a rock there on her property and said that's uh, a cemetery uh, who knows who was allegedly buried there but the government said miss nick you got to keep your gates open and uh, be unsecured monday through friday nine to five because there's a cemetery on your property and um, she sued and the supreme court i think got it right this time and they said no if you're going to enact a rule like that local government you need to pay for it if you're going to take people's privacy and private property you've got to uh, pay for it. that's a regulatory taking and uh, that was a stand for 
for property rights and private property. And, you know, there's a, there's a tension. And uh, I trust local governments on their zoning decisions. I think that's where zoning decisions ought to be made at the, the local, local government level. level rather than, you know, down in Atlanta or Washington, D.C. I think that, you know, having zonings and having people be able to have a say in that process is, is, is important. But I think also the, the uh, uh, judicial review and making sure that, people's private property rights and constitutional rights are honored in the process is also important. I think the U.S. Supreme Court got it right in that Nick case. So, uh, yeah, eminent domain is government's strongest civil power. In the criminal um, area, uh, when people commit a crime, they go to jail, they lose their freedom. When the government says, uh, I want your property for a road or a government building, I'm going to take your private property away, that's the strongest power that the government has, and I think we need to have checks and balances to make sure that people get treated fairly in that uh, very strong government power when it gets exercised. Yeah, because that's really, that's dealing with taking someone's right to their private ownership away from them. Right, and uh, you think about that. People, uh, their home uh, and their property, people work hard uh, for their whole lives, and you got a lot attached to people's property. It's their hard-earned property, and I think it's the American way to respect and, well, it's their and appreciate heart and, and honor that. They put their heart and soul in owning their property and their home, and that's where that's where their life is. And you're basically saying, you're not important, we're more important, this person over here. So totally get that. So I, I'm not a big eminent domain advocate, I can tell you that. A um, couple of just short issues I wanted to ask about. Um, a lot of talk about the gaming industry in Georgia. A lot of stuff going on about that. You know, quickly, what is your, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Your position on that? Uh, where do you see it going? Sure, um, definitely a hot topic. And I saw there's going to be a debate uh, in the next couple of weeks with um, Senator Brandon Beach and Haley Barber, the former Republican chair and governor of Mississippi, on one side, and then uh, Cole Musio of the Family Policy Alliance, Senator Bruce Thompson from. Uh, Northwest Georgia on the other side, they're going to debate um, um, gaming and I think particularly online gaming. Um, this this is an issue when when I hear gaming or gambling and any changes in that, I immediately ask, how does this affect the Hope Grant? Because in my area of Gwinnett County and in North Fulton, um, you have probably there are 56 Senate seats. I would say this is number one out of the 56 in terms of. Uh, young people using the HOPE grant as well as uh, mom and dad depending on the HOPE grant uh, for their family finances to educate their kids in college and so um, my area has a lot invested in the HOPE grant and I want to make sure the HOPE grant is strong because people have relied on it for a long time. From a um, uh, public policy perspective I think uh, in addition to asking how is this new proposal going to affect the HOPE grant the equilibrium of the HOPE grant budget I think we ought to ask, what is this proposal going to do to the quality of life in our communities? That's what I'm going to ask on anything at the state senate. How is it going to affect um, people's safety and uh, property values and things like that in the community? So when you've got these Atlanta sports teams saying we want online gaming, if it's all online, um, I'm paying close attention to that because I want to hear about that. I know that any type of gambling is going to have a potential addiction component but particularly if it's going to be at a location I want to scrutinize that well because uh, what I don't want to do uh, you know we're trying to get sex trafficking and human trafficking out of Georgia I don't want to have any more of that going on I don't want to have the secondary effects of having some 
you know, scuzzy stuff next door to, you know, the gambling where you're going to have a lot of police and, and emergency uh, vehicles and, and uh, blight going on. Um, so, you know, uh, I want to look at the quality of life issues. I want to have it studied. And, you know, this whole uh, sports betting issue came up due to a, a court decision a year or two ago. And we've got 50 states. Twelve of them have uh, already instituted some form of sports gambling. Um, I think one advantage of having federalism is being able to study it. Um, I, I get suspicious when there's some, something new and there's an immediate rush to throw Georgia whole, you know, uh, whole hog into uh, something. I think we ought to study it carefully and make sure that we're not permanently taking on something that can disrupt the Hope Grant, quality of life, other things like that. With that being said, you know, I'm somebody who believes in freedom. Uh, I want adults to be able to, you know, have a lot of freedom, uh, but also balance, you know, our faith community as well as our quality of life in our community. I think that, uh, you know, we need to watch out for addiction and human trafficking and things like that. Uh, Burt Jones is the person who's taking the lead on the, the online sports betting that the Braves and the Falcons and the the Hawks and uh, Atlanta United are uh, supporting. Um, he is from outside of Atlanta. He's from like the Barnesville area. Uh, he's in the insurance business. I think has some family ties to uh, you know gas trucking and stuff like that. So he's coming from the small town, small business world. Uh, he's the guy who tried to uh, institute some reforms at the Atlanta airport. So he's somebody who really is not afraid to uh, get out there and shake things up. He didn't achieve directly what he wanted to do at the airport, but I think that folks are on their toes a lot more in terms of integrity rather than corruption at the airport now than when he started that. But his proposal is let's do a 20% tax on sports betting in Georgia. Let's have it run by the lottery to where it would be tied to the HOPE grant. And then let's have 5% of those revenues uh, available for addiction counseling. Um, so I think that's good that they're saving some money for addiction counseling, but I think that's also noteworthy because having, you know, money to send people to addiction counseling, that's one thing, but what is the cost to Georgia of, you know, uh, kids, marriages, um, you know, uh, the workplace of having more gambling addiction? So, you know, um, And sending people to addiction uh, counseling and stuff, I can tell you people don't, it only works if the person wants it. You can make them go all you want to, but if they're not ready for it and they don't want it, it's going to have a bit of effect. All it's going to do is just spend money. So I will tell you this. I, I really respect um, Senator Beach, really respect uh, Family Policy Alliance, Senator Thompson. If I'm going to that uh, event, um, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to be listening. Um, I, I'm going to take a an open mind on this, but uh, I'm a pragmatist on this issue. I want to look at facts. I'd like to study it. I don't want to jump on a bandwagon where we could regret it years later. And also, I want to make sure that our budget, uh, that we don't disrupt our budget um, uh, because that could have disastrous consequences for our, our families who are depending on the HOPE grant. Well, once, so, the is, once the step is taken, you can't go back. Exactly. I mean, there is no go back. Do you ever see paramutual betting real quick coming um, into the state? You know, in, in Florida, they have uh, some of that. Um, I... Um, uh, you know, it's interesting, after Senator uh, Jones' proposal just the last day or two, you're starting to hear some responses of people saying, you know, I'm really for it or really against it down there at mm -hmm. the Capitol. So, um, 
you know, I think uh, when you get into paramutual betting, that's in person. You have a facility. You have a location. I think that's a whole different issue than the sports uh, online I just wondered gambling. If, I've got um, a lot of friends that are wondering if anybody will ever have if we'll ever have a racetrack and horse racing in, well, in Georgia. Well, <laughs> and you know, um, it, it's interesting on the horse um, uh, horse uh, industry. They've had some problems in Maryland. Oh, um, yeah. I know we've got some folks locally in Georgia who have horses elsewhere. And they've pointed to the fact that, you know, you can have property value increases because uh, you're going to have, you know, boarding of the horses and hay and things like that that are totally unrelated to gambling. It would create, you know, a new uh, kind of a shot in the arm to the equine industry. But, uh, again, we've got to be careful. We've got to study it. I want to look at the facts. I want to look at the case. Um, I, I will hear people out fairly on this, and I really want to hear from folks in Gwinnett and North Fulton about, um, you know. What uh, their thoughts are. Yeah, what their thoughts are. I'm all ears on it. I'm studying it carefully. Uh, but, again, um, the HOPE grant is, and quality of life in our communities, that's, that's my thought. Um, I would like to point out also uh, the COAM industry started in convenience stores, coin-operated amuse mm -hmm. amusement machines, which is somewhat of a misnomer because I think they put uh, – money in rather than coins but uh, uh, what used to be video poker 20 right. or 30 years ago which was illegal and they had a, a big problem with uh, black market uh, video poker machines uh, they had a ton <laughs> of raids I remember when I was in law school that circuit I worked in up there in northeast Georgia was on the South Carolina border and they had a big problem with it on the borderline up there but uh, the co-am industry is new it started uh, 2012 or 13 or so so we've got a new industry and we're starting to get some facts and figures and budget about, you know, how much money that's adding to HOPE grant and also other costs. If you have a, a gas station and convenience store, normally they'd be closed at midnight or 2 a.m., but they're opening all night for people to come in and gamble. And play the games. Um, number one, what's that doing to that person for work the next day? And then number two, if, if somebody's open at 3.30 in the morning, What's that doing on safety? You know, I, in Duluth, uh, at Pleasant Hill and Peachtree Industrial, a couple weeks ago, we had a person come into a shell station at 3.30 in the morning with a knife to rob the cashier. The cashier had a gun and, and shot the uh, attacker. Um, why were they open at 3.30 in the morning on Pleasant Hill Road in Duluth? Uh, if, well, there is no traffic. Right. Uh, so, you know, if, if, if co-ams are causing, you know, later hours and more crime there in those hours we need to balance the whole picture i, I don't want to say i'm against co-ams I, I know a lot of good people here in our area who were doing a great job in that industry but again it's a new industry we need to study take a look at it study it and make sure we're not uh, getting hooked on anything that we regret years later yeah, I just, I just love it when somebody takes a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> um. Oh, oh, here's the other thing on crime and public safety. I studied that situation a little bit. They had the guy's picture in the paper. They ran his mugshot. Um, he was laid up in the hospital from getting shot. So uh, that wasn't his mugshot from this one. It was his mugshot from, from one of his one. two previous uh, uh, crimes this year. This guy was on his third offense in Gwinnett County in uh, 2019 and 20 a uh, young man um, and uh, you know you got to ask are we as tough on crime now uh, as we were in the past uh, for the sake of the the safety of our community we've well, got to be very careful about letting people just turn around and let them out that's been in the news yeah. a lot lately a lot of a lot of states are doing that for other different reasons we won't go into 
but bottom line is it's that uh, they're it's like a revolving door and something's got to stop because these people know it's a revolving door yep. and nothing's going to happen you know uh, I believe in criminal justice reform I believe in rehabilitation second chances I don't believe in letting a young man who's brought you know uh, who's attacked somebody with a knife of being out there in the community committing two more crimes in a year Absolutely. we got to get serious on stuff like that and also you know if when I talk to police officers whether it's cities or the county they are stretched now oh, yeah. um, the mileage on their cars the uh, hours and shifts that they uh, that they have um, we are stretched in Gwinnett and North Fulton right now when it comes to services um, and we need to make sure that going forward, law enforcement and public safety is a priority. We can't be all things to all people. We got to focus on that as a priority. Take your take your important things and whittle them down. One final quick question. I know this isn't going to be a quick one, but I'm out of time anyway. But um, you know, when you really get down to it, with you running, you know. Why should anybody go out and vote for you that's in this district? Why should, you know, what kind of a vision do you have as far as that? But why, why should I vote for you? Um, thanks, Rick. You know, I'm at the middle of the ballot, state Senate. So you've got, uh, in 2020, you've got the White House, you've got the U.S. Senate, and then you've got local um, elected offices. The state Senate is at the middle of the ballot, and I think that's appropriate because we're in the middle of a lot of important decisions. Um, our community in Gwinnett County and North Fulton is rapidly growing. We've got some great things going on. You look at the high schools in the district in uh, North Fulton, Johns Creek, Northview, and Chattahoochee are three of the best high schools in the state. The Gwinnett schools in my district, Duluth, Peachtree Ridge, Norcross, Paul Duke, Collins Hill, a little bit of North Gwinnett and Lanier, they're also top-notch schools, but they're, they're huge schools. They have huge budgets. Um, uh, we have some of the worst traffic in Atlanta in, in my area. We have uh, some of the uh, most rapidly evolving law enforcement needs. On health care, we have some great health care institutions and providers, but you look at five or ten years down the road, are we going to have the dollars and cents to keep doing at an excellent level what we've done in the past? Uh, I think being a Republican majority state senator who's going to focus on those um, quality of life essentials and have priorities rather than have somebody who's really running for some other office or you know who wants to just be you know a, a liberal politician down there um, parroting national liberal lines um, that'd be a waste of a state senate seat i want to be an effective local bipartisan problem solver in the state senate that's uh, the difference in me and uh, the competition well i'd say that's a pretty good difference <coughs> excuse me the um, big thing here is I'm glad to have you on, and I think that it's something that people really need to pay attention to because this election is going to be big, and it's uh, for a lot of reasons. And I think that people need to really pay attention to where people stand, not just for what party they're in, but where they actually stand on what the issues are. And even though today that's going to pretty well tell you which party you're going to because of the issues are so different between the two parties their stands but i'm glad to have you here i wish you a lot of luck and i know you'll be back again thank you rick appreciate all the good you do well i appreciate it well thank you for joining us on case in point presented by paradigm security services and uh, sponsored by uh Sosby's garage at 200 bay creek road loganville georgia 
Call Big John at 678-825-2127. That's 678-825-2127. And uh, in Monday through Friday, 8 to 5.30. And tell him what your problem is. Get him to come out and take a look at it. Get you, bring it in, take a look at it, and we'll all take care of you. Uh, remember, you can join us live every Wednesday at 11.30 in the morning, or you can listen to our show anytime you want by going to businessradiox.com. Clicking on the Gwinnett Studio, and then, of course, click on Case in Point. Join us next week at 1130 when we will talk with business leaders about their businesses and related security issues in today's world and how it affects all the, all the citizens that are here. Thanks again to my guest, Matt Reeves, running again for the state Senate candidate seat in District 48 uh, in here in uh, Gwinnett and North Fulton. And for my producer, Mike, and I am Rick Strawn. And remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets.